And welcome to LX2 Codependency Coaching. I am Stella. We are recording live on Instagram at Luna underscore X2 underscore LLC. And it is Friday, August 25th. A year ago today, I was probably going on my, you know, fifth or sixth adventure in Athens. Um, and, and now I'm all the way back. So that's exciting. Um, I was talking earlier about how it's nice and cool or getting cooler in the evening, which is really my favorite thing. Um, I tend to run a little hot, so I do like it when it cools off and it's naturally just a little cooler. Um, so I was thinking about today's topic and, um, I'm writing, I think I mentioned last time, uh, a new workshop for September, uh, and I'll be presenting with my accountability buddy and, uh, and partner, business partner, uh, Teresa with Discovering Greatness. And so we're going to write a five-part series on intentional dating. And so the first kind of introduction is just kind of being aware of what it is and has meant to be single and how to date with intention and to move forward, wholly looking at who you are and then what it is that you are looking for in, in a relationship or dating experience. Um, after the introduction, we will do four more parts. And so, um, one of them is on attachment and one of them is on codependency and romantic relationships. Um, one of them is on doing your own work. And then the final one is on online and app dating safety. And so we're talking about these things. We, she and I have writing sessions. And so we were talking about attachment and both of us have, uh, an awareness of attachment both from a, a clinical and professional perspective, but also uh, just doing our internal awareness of our attachment style. Now, I have talked about attachment style a little bit before, and I kind of sprinkle it throughout my, uh, you know, podcast and in my work and stuff. Uh, but I was thinking about this idea of diagnosis or awareness, right? A lot of times when clients come into my office, and and to be fair, when I had a license, when I was doing uh, clinical therapy or counseling. Um, when you use insurance, you have to come up with a, a justifiable diagnosis to be able to bill insurance. Now, when you're cash pay, uh, or private pay, you don't have to diagnose. And I think that there's a helpful level of awareness in a diagnosis. And for some people, it does help them to give them a direction towards learning tools and skills to be able to manage their diagnosis. Um, and so from a psychological perspective, as opposed to like, um, physiological perspective or, uh, um, a Western diagnostic model, uh, from my perspective, we look at wellness and managing as opposed to curing, uh, because a lot of times psychological challenges are not curable, but they are manageable to a point where you reduce symptoms and you're able to, um, you know, integrate or be in, in your life in a much more comfortable way. So I'm thinking about that, right? I'm thinking about attachment. I'm thinking about diagnosis or just having this awareness. And then the next piece is, you know, when you know better, you do better. We've definitely talked about how the growing and healing journey is in part building self-awareness of how you show up and what you do in the world and then um, kind of integrating, you know, more information so that you can adapt and manage things better. So I'm thinking about those things and we're having these conversations and we're talking about 
you know, past relationships and circumstances that put us in those situations. Generally, we put ourselves in situations um, and recognizing like the versions of ourselves before now, the things that they chose or the things that they settled for, the things that, you know, we, um, with the awareness that we had at the time, kind of participated in. And so specific to attachment. So for those of you who don't know, um, secure attachment is the ideal where I know who I am. I know where you are and you can go away and come back. And I feel good about that. Um, that is secure attachment for the most part. And it, it's basically just like, I am grounded and secure in our relationship and our attachment. And I don't need you to constantly, you know, validate or verify that we are a thing or whatever. Um, an attachment, uh, Nicholas Bowlby, John Bowlby, uh, talked about attachment from a parent-child perspective and how it kind of lays the foundation for how we attach in, in other relationships. Nicholas Bowlby. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, and so recognizing that that is the, the pinnacle or the top, the gold standard of attachment is secure. Uh, most people, you know, in different relationships, validate or like identify or, or qualify as secure. Um, the other ones are, um, avoidant. And so I, I, I identify as avoidant, but or have in the past where I like the idea of relationship, but I tend to avoid any kind of commitment or secure attachment. Um, and then there's anxious, right? So I will attach, but I need that validation consistently, consistently and regularly, um, then there's disorganized, which is uh, I am avoidant and anxious, and so I want it. I will sometimes have it, and then I don't ever trust that it's a thing. Um, and so my behavior is then like needing that validation consistently, or I will just pull back and and you know napalm it, run out to the shed, and boom, throw it all away. Uh, so all of those things are are ways that I have identified in the past. Um, so I was thinking about that and I was thinking like, okay, when we get to a place of healing and growing and working through past versions of ourselves, you got to do better, right? So having a diagnosis or having a, um, a direction is helpful to a certain degree because then I know at least what I'm addressing, right? And so when I, you know, when clients and I are talking about, well, this is what it looks like. And so based on what I'm seeing, like, you know, it, it looks like anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, or based on what you've told me, like PTSD would definitely fit as the diagnosis for this. When we look at how many, you know, um, episodes of significant depression you've had, like severe depression or moderate depression or, you know, recurring depression, like those are ways that we talk about things. Um, there's a general uh, kind of catch-all for diagnosis where there's not any like one specific thing. Um, and, and, you know, we use that and it, again, it needs to be justified. We have a whole book to diagnose people, uh, called the diagnostic diagnostic and statistical manual, and they're on the fifth version. Uh, and so looking at the criteria is how we then address, uh, diagnosis. For some clients, like I said, it does make them feel better to know this is what 
I am dealing with. It has a title. I'm not just crazy. Like these things help me to then compartmentalize it and recognize this is what it is. And then we can work to reduce symptoms. Um, specific to attachment, like I think some people will get to that place of like, this is just who I am. And, you know, I'm just, I'm always going to do this. And then there's generally thoughts that kind of reinforce that. Um, unhelpful thoughts that are, uh, well, you know, then I'm not worthy and deserving of having a healthy relationship, or this is just always who I, this is the kind of people I always pick, or these are the kind of relationships, these things always happen to me, uh, you know, those kinds of unhelpful narratives. And so when I work with clients specific to like those unhelpful narratives, we look for facts based in reality um, to support that. Rarely are there any other than this has been your uh, pattern in the past and this these are contributing factors to what that is. Once we identify those things and we start to change the narrative and we start to increase how somebody feels about themselves and we start to you know have conversations about shifting what they are willing to allow, raising the bar, right? <clears throat> <laughs> then we can start to change things. And I think part of what happens when we recognize these unhelpful patterns that have happened before now, and then we cover that or, or um, kind of label it with, these are things that have happened based on patterns of behavior, you know, history, um, perception, all of those things, then they can be changed and addressed. That said, it has to be changed and addressed consciously. And every day there has to be some effort to either fact check or choose to change the behavior, choose to react differently, choose to interact differently. Um, and also recognize, oh, that's my anxious attachment or that's my avoidant attachment kind of showing up in these ways. Um, I do like to take a historical view, uh, especially with clients to kind of recognize like, where did that come from? Where did that start? Uh, where did that unhelpful thought or narrative begin? And then we start to re recontextualize the narrative with more facts or more information. Um, and what it does for clients is it then gives them the ability to have some autonomy and some agency over changing it. I can say that for myself, um, as I have done this like deep dive into codependency and where my codependency came from and really recognizing the patterns of interaction and behavior, I recognize that there's a lot of things that I couldn't control and now I do have more control over things um, and I get to choose how I engage moving forward. A lot of times I've talked with you guys often about gratitude and rather than seeing things from a kind of victim perspective of like, oh, these things happened to me, recognizing, you know, these things have happened and uh, that is not the only thing that has happened. You know, you know, recognizing that the, the relationships and dynamics in my life have been very much um, collaborative, right? Um, we are working with other people to have these experiences oftentimes. Um, what I also know to be true is that there are opportunities for gratitude, really recognizing that no one life is complete and total misery. 
I like to think often of Viktor Frankl, uh, who was one of the uh, the founders of existential therapy. Um, he was in a concentration camp in World War II. Um, he's a physician, I believe. And he wrote about his experience there and all of the hope and the positive things that were happening, even though they were in this really horrific circumstance. Um, and really thinking about that idea of making meaning in the middle. Um, I talk a lot about having gratitude and having an awareness of, even though there are shitty circumstances that happen, that we are in, that things, you know, without our control happen to us, we do have the ability to have moments of either respite or positive things happen. Um, I was listening to Renee's podcast, uh, Visions of a Blind Woman, this last episode on Tuesday, and she was talking about Maui, uh, and she was talking about how things can shift and change overnight, um, you know, with the fires and, and certainly the hurricane winds and all the things. Um, the idea that we could go to bed and everything is fine and then wake up the next morning and it's not. And, you know, for those of us who ex have experienced significant grief or loss or change uh, that we had no control over, there is a lot of devastation and grief and um, sadness and anger. And all of those feelings are true, as well as moments of kindness and beauty and connection um, and so what I encourage clients often and just in general in life to have moments of gratitude for the things that don't suck. <laughs> um, oftentimes, you know, I think there's this, uh, idea that of toxic positivity of just like, Oh, just be grateful. Just let it go. Blah, which is fine. But I think it, it, it has to be tempered with, and not all things are great all the time. So when you have moments um, of connection, of peace, of creativity, of beauty, acknowledging those. And sometimes it's hard to acknowledge in the moment. That's why I like the idea of therapy for a number of reasons, not least of which is like what I've done for my whole career. Um, but being able to talk to someone else and recognize that perspective of, oh, I didn't realize that that was, that was a really beautiful moment, or that was a really awesome connection. Um, I love those aha moments, uh, even with my coaching clients where, you know, they'll be telling a narrative and then kind of sit back and go, oh, I didn't realize that, um, or I didn't see it that way. Right. And so oftentimes when we are telling our narrative and saying it out loud, we do start to recognize details that we missed and then can say, okay, now with a new awareness of, oh, this is how my anxiety shows up in these situations and circumstances. I've told the story before of, um, you know, traveling with Teresa and, and she was like, you get really anxious on a travel day. Uh, it was awesome to, to have it be acknowledged and noticed. And she didn't come with judgment. She was just like, and I'm curious, like what that's about. And so once I, I recognized it cause she called it out and I feel it obviously. Um, then I was able to then look at, that's true. I do. I get anxious on a travel day. Um, and I like to have uh, a certain level of, of control, or at least I, I need to have a level of predictability of what's going to happen. That said, oftentimes when things 
you know, completely change or come out of left field or whatever, I am good at a pivot. Like I, I can, you know, then switch it up and be like, okay, well, you know, what do I know to be true in my toolkit of like, okay, these are other things that I can do. So, you know, I think that's one of the, the things that I'm super grateful for to have lived as long as I have is that my, I have a significant, um, knowledge base of situations and activities uh, and and potential like tools and fixes to these things. Uh, I don't ever stay in this idea of like, this is just who I am, um, even when it's kind of gross or like <laughs> not my favorite. Um, I get these moments where I just get frustrated or overwhelmed in the moment. And, you know, I've, I've shared with you guys in the past, like I process through feelings very quickly, but I also process through them very intensely. And so a feeling will come up and it feels very big. It feels very heavy. Um, and I work through it, both checking my facts, looking at my previous behavior and, you know, with gratitude of like, well, we had this, this situation. I had breakfast with a friend this morning um, who had seen me maybe a little over a month ago. And I was really struggling. Like I was having a hard time with just pivoting and changing and figuring out like where I was going to live and, you know, what the next steps were in terms of like rebuilding my practice and all the things. And so she said, I was really worried about you. And I, I just wanted to make sure that you were okay. And so, you know, after we finished breakfast today, she said, I'm really glad that you're doing better and you, you seem much lighter and you seem, um, like you have a, a clearer direction of where things are going. And I, you know, I shared gratitude that like, thank you for seeing me and acknowledging, you know, that where I was last time was not the best, um, this transition to, to be back home and, and to, to do things differently and certainly differently than I had, that I had anticipated or that I had an expectation of what it was going to look like, uh, has definitely come with a lot of challenges. And again, looking at, you know, my attachment style and my, um, my propensity for anxiety and, you know, what depression has looked like for me in the past, I recognize that like all of those things are labels or at least reminders of Stella, this is not what's happening all the time. This is this moment where you're frustrated, overwhelmed, sad, you know, lonely, whatever it is. Um, I have talked a lot about Sad Girl Saturday and I talked about it when I was away because I, I mean, I get Sad Girl Saturday. Um, I don't live there, but I recognize when it's coming. And I know that if I like make plans on Saturday or have something to look forward to, I'm less likely to be inundated with it. Um, and <laughs> I'm grateful for times when it passes quickly or that I just kind of lean into it for a little bit and I don't live there, uh, but I, I acknowledge it and I remind myself, hey friend, I remember you and you know, you can't stay forever. So it, it is a thing where I now consciously think about how to move forward. I consciously think about there was a time when that was a lot more challenging for me to do. And so when I work with clients and, and they talk about their patterns of behavior um, that are not helpful, uh, recognizing that now they have different skills and tools to be able to address them. And it's that idea of when you know better, you do better, right? Um, when you can look back and say, I'm really grateful that I had a friend come and get me and, you know, kind of pull me out of it. I'm really grateful that I, you know, got to have dinner with my parents or, 
you know, I, I got to go and see, I got to go for a walk in the bosque or, uh, you know, that I had these great trips and memories. A lot of times, sometimes when you look in the past, it feels like it was easier then. And that might've been true, you know, but there is a way to shift the meaning so that it doesn't feel so heavy. Like that was the only time that that happened. Rather, that is a time when this happened and now I get to change how I do these things moving forward. Um, I do talk with my friends often and I'm really grateful for the friends that can fact check with me and remind me of my skills and abilities to be able to do things. I know that I do that with clients and certainly ones that I've had longstanding. Um, I can tell them, Hey, like, remember where we met and who we were and what you were doing and how much further you've come and how, you know, the goals that you set five years ago, you have attained them and then surpassed them. Um, it is that idea that we are continuing to move through time and consciously working towards having a better life, making better decisions, using different tools. Um, even though we may have a diagnosis or, uh, a label or whatever it is that does not define who we are. And so as a person who has dealt with depression, who identifies as codependent, who has anxiety regularly, um, and who has, you know, an avoidant attachment style, I recognize that those are all ways to help inform me of what, what tools and skills I need to use. And not knowing that just made me feel crazy. Like just made me feel like what is wrong with me? Whereas now I can put it in the category and then once it's in the category, then I can pick the tools to address it. And so when my avoidant attachment style shows up, I can say, Hey friend, I remember who you are. Let me check some facts. Let me recognize that this isn't how we're going to be today. And I can securely attach to myself and I can list several relationships in which I am securely attached and then I can move forward. And so I don't have to protect myself or get in a box or try to feel um, reactive. I can just be aware that that is something and then we move through it. The same would be true with my anxiety. Like I know that certain parking lots trigger significant anxiety for me. I can avoid them, which is definitely something I do most of the time. But if I have to be in that situation, I can move through it and say, okay, this is not my favorite and it's temporary. I know what to do. I have, you know, a significant amount of tools. It's, I only have to be here for a little bit. All of those things are true. And then I can move through it. Um, like I said, when Sad Girl Saturday shows up, I recognize I know what this is and I don't have to live here. Um, it will pass and I can choose either to stay in bed and be sad or I can get up and go do something like moving around or having food or um, making a plan or whatever it is to then move through that particular circumstance that has been challenging in the past. I know that, you know, for my clients, there have been times when they get very reactive in certain situations and circumstances. And so when we talk about what skill or tool could you use here, they have a better arsenal to be able to go, oh, I remember I can, you know, let my partner know, hey, I'm having a rough day or I can, uh, you know, reach out to 
this friend or this friend. You know, we like to set those things up in advance to, to have people that you can turn to when you're struggling rather than just kind of sitting in the diagnosis and sitting in the, in the label and just being like, well, this is just who I am. This is going to suck. Like recognizing I know tools and skills to be able to get out of it. And again, that, that idea of, of being temporary is significant. Everything passes and everything changes. Nothing ever stays the same. Um, and even though it feels at the time pretty big and insurmountable, that's not always the case. Um, and then again, just like finding the gratitude for like, there was a time when this was much more difficult or there have been really beautiful moments. And so my life is not all terrible. Uh, my, this situation is not all absolute garbage. Um, you know, we were talking this morning at breakfast about Albuquerque and our reputation <laughs> for eh, lots of un, unhelpful things. Uh, but recognizing that that's not all of what there is. Like there are so many other things that are beautiful and exciting and hopeful um, in this city that we live in. Being able to work past, you know, certain situations that are unsavory or, or uh, unappealing and you know that's not all the that's not the whole story um and i think oftentimes we can get stuck in in that negative kind of sticky blackness um but when you can acknowledge it when you can go okay i know what this is i know how to get myself out i know who to reach for you know for help um and then you can change the narrative right i think that as I was, I was, I was kind of thinking about today's topic of, of having at least a label gives us a direction and having a direction then gives us an opportunity to take a step forward, recognizing every situation that I've been in before now has helped inform me to do better. And having really good people in my life have helped me to feel supported, loved, seen, heard, accepted, valuable, worthy, all those things, and then giving it to myself. Now I know from a different perspective, my worth and value. Um, and so I don't have to protect myself so hard from this fear of getting hurt because I have been able to heal from every hurt that I've had before now. So it's, it's, it's helpful information to have a label, a diagnosis, uh, a point of direction to then move forward from. And once we have whatever hard circumstance, it does not then define us, right? Um, recognizing that like a lot of times we will over-identify with our diagnosis and that's not helpful. But to recognize it's just information, right? Being an anxious attacher is just information. It is an opportunity for then for me to show up differently if that's what I choose to do. But it does not define who I am and how I do relationship. Um, you know, having somebody, being somebody with anxiety does not, it does not define who I am. It is part of how I experience the world. Um, and I, you know, I have a lot of significant tools and, and skills to be able to work through it. Um, I think that it's hard when people start to do, you know, therapy work and with the right therapist who's going to, you know, hold them to task and encourage them to do the work, it's going to be uncomfortable. And once they start to utilize the tools and integrate, you know, different thought patterns and change behavior, they start to feel better. They start to feel like they have some agency and control over 
their circumstance and situation. And so that is the, the kind of best outcome um, in finding the right kind of, you know, clinician to work with you to connect with who you are as a human being and then, you know, get the tools and skills to be able to integrate that and move forward. Um, I do like to encourage people that there is hope. It does not, just because you have a diagnosis or just because you have a set of circumstances does not have to be the end. It is just a pivoting point then to change the direction and do better knowing more information about that. Um, now, the other part is I don't encourage a, a lot of, of um, Google searching. <laughs> For some people, it does help them to have as much information as possible, although there is a level of kind of doom and terror that comes from just kind of hyperfixating on it. Uh, so do it for a while and then take a step back. And, you know, if you're going to play the what if game, the, the one tool I give to people is, okay, we're going to do, I know that you're going to do the what if game anyway, like what if worst case scenario, um, I would say limit it to five things and also, um, limit it to five. What if good things happen? Right. Cause I think for those of us who play the what if game and like, what if the terrible thing happens and what if we get a, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's really easy to do that and go down the rabbit hole. So limit it to five things. And then also look at five, what if good possibilities, right? Because for those of us who are anxious and perseverate, it's the thing we're going to do anyway. So that's your nugget for today. Um, our workshop for, uh, intentional dating is the intentional dating series called single divorced. It's complicated. Um, is going to be here in Albuquerque at Discovering Greatness in September, the 9th, 16th, and 23rd. It is a five-part series. Um, and so you can check out my website or uh, contact Discovering Greatness in Albuquerque uh, to get registered for that. It is a, a limited amount of um, human beings that we're going to allow in the space. So uh, register quickly, reach out and let us know. Um, you can get a hold of me at lx2.cod.coach at gmail.com. You can find me here on Instagram, on Facebook, and on TikTok. I will talk to you soon. Take care. All right. I have ended the video and I am ending the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am so grateful to, uh, I've got all these amazing states that are continuing to support Luna X2 or LX2 codependency coaching. And I just wanted to quickly give a shout out to California. Uh, awesome. Uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Texas, Michigan, Colorado, Kentucky, New York. We've got my first listeners in South Dakota. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Virginia, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Ohio, Iowa, Florida, Idaho, Arkansas, Delaware, Maine, North Carolina. We do have a couple listeners in Utah. We hadn't had those for a while. West Virginia, Nebraska, South Carolina, New Hampshire, Hawaii, Mississippi, and Alabama. Thank you so much for tuning in to LX2 Codependency Coaching. I do appreciate you, and I will talk to you in a week. Take care.